All of this you just don't get, huh? Lord, let me know if you got us. Preaching about profit. It ain't no one man can stop us. Bow down to a goddess. Bow down to a goddess. Bow down to a goddess. It ain't no one man can stop us. Bow down to the goddess. Goddess. Got it. Hello and welcome to the Strong Women Power Hour, your radio show and podcast designed to empower, enlighten, and educate you on your journey through womanhood. Welcome back, Strong Women Co-Fans. Thank you, thank you for being here. And welcome to all of our new listeners. We're so glad to have you here with us today. Make sure to subscribe and get all of our upcoming shows. I'm your host, Kelly Hickey. I'm a women's empowerment specialist, and I'm the director of Strong Women Co., a multi-service empowerment company here to help you be your strongest, happiest, and healthiest self. We have empowerment one-on-one programs, group programs, workshops, online kits. Oh, we just launched. Uh, We had two new moon kits uh, for the last two new moons that we've gotten amazing feedback on. Uh, And I got the moon phase necklaces out in the mail to everyone. They went to Australia, Ireland, Oregon, Maine, California, Alberta, British Columbia, Saskatchewan, and all over Newfoundland, which is my home province in Canada. And I love getting packages out into the mail. Don't you love getting mail? And of course, uh, besides all that in Strong Women Co., we also have inspirational, motivational posts daily on Facebook and Instagram. Link in the show notes for that. Follow us and we have our free online tribe where I share videos um other people started to show videos too that's great posts to be encouraging we're, we're encouraging one another we're encouraging each other through uh womanhoods through uh laughs through uh shares through support um so there's a link in the show notes for that uh so come join our tribe if you are looking for uh, a group of supportive encouraging women from all over the world We have many exciting things coming up for Strong Women Co. this fall, including uh, in a couple weeks' time, uh, I will be down in Florida for a trade mission to try to connect to even more wonderful, amazing folks down in the mighty U.S. of A. Uh, Many exciting things, so stay tuned to that for all of the uh, new kits and programs and uh, things that we're dreaming up. But today we have an amazing woman on the radio show today that does inspirational, meaningful, transformative work. It is the powerhouse of Reverend Dr. Angela Yarber. You're going to love her. You're really going to love her. She's an author and artist. She's the executive director of the Holy Women's Icon Project. We're going to talk about that more. Uh, it's a na- nonprofit seeking to empower marginalized women by telling the story of revolutionary holy women through art, writing, and special events. So cool. Uh, she holds a PhD in art and religion and was a pro- is a professor uh, in women's studies, gender, and sexuality. She's an award-winning author of seven books, and she's a queer clergywoman uh, who leads retreats and courses with her wife and two young children on the Big Island of Hawaii. Her work has been featured in NPR's Progressive Spirit, Maya Angelou's Memorial Celebration, and the television show Tiny House Nation. Can you believe it? She lives in a tiny house that's off-grid in Hawaii. I feel like we can learn so very much from uh, this mighty, mighty strong woman. I'll put all of her links in the show notes. And for our radio listeners, just check it out on www.holywomenicons.com. You can support her work. And when you do support her work, you support uh, other women and marginalized people. Uh, I have learned so much from Angela. I'm delighted to have her on the pod. There's a lot of good nuggets in this all the way to the end. I think you'll enjoy it. So what are we waiting for? Take a breath. 
<sighs> Let's do this. Well, hello, Angela. We finally hello. meet. <laughs> I'm super excited to uh, talk to you today and to just tell all of our listeners about all the great work you're doing. I'm just oh, gonna thanks. I'm just gonna dive right in because great. This this is what I I find just happens anyway. <laughs> Even uh-huh. if I try to do like introduction uh, with the high caliber women I have on the podcast, like yourself, uh, often we're just really effective and to the point and just start ready uh-huh. to dive into the exciting topic of the day. So uh, that's uh, let's let's do that. Let's do okay. that. So uh, welcome, 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 Angela. Uh, aloha. You are in uh, beautiful Hawaii on the Big Island, right? That's right. Oh, that is amazing. I have been to Oahu uh, and I fell in love with that uh, a few years ago. That was absolutely, utterly amazing. Um, so just to kind of set the groundwork for our listeners here, um, would you mind starting with the question to tell us a little about uh, what has made you the woman that you are today? Sure. Um, answering that question is pretty layered, as I imagine it is for everyone that you ask, and uh, could be an entire you know, podcast just for that, but, and it could be different today than tomorrow. And of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, so I would say that there's kind of two tiers. One is my upbringing. I was raised by a really fabulous single mom, uh, who raised my two younger brothers and I on her own. And she never talked about feminism, but she really embodied and lived it in a lot of ways. So single working mom, raising three kids, always taught me that I could do anything that I wanted to do and lived a really empowering life continues to do that in ways that were really subversive. So we, we grew up working poor and no one had gone to college or many hadn't even finished high school. And I was the first to go on and do those things. And my mother always empowered me in that. And I come from a strong line of women, her mother, my aunts, things like that. And then a lot of things that seem disparate helped form me but are pretty interconnected for me so I'm a retired professional dancer and so a career in the performing arts has certainly shaped who I am today in both negative and positive ways Hmm. Uh, I am a queer clergy woman and so for 14 years I was a pastor Uh, no longer practice but that is a huge part of who I am Uh, I'm queer, and for my wife and I, that really permeates so many things that we do. It's not just about sexual orientation, but queering the work that I do, queering my artwork, my iconography, my writing, my parenting, our ways of forming family is really imperative to who I am. Uh, I'm a feminist, an intersectional feminist, so as you know and have talked about, that we care not just about liberation and collective liberation for women, but also with regard to race, sexuality, ability, age, and all of those isms that divide. And then finally, I am an author and an artist. And so around the time that I was retiring from professional dancing, I needed a creative outlet. I started giving traditional iconography a folk feminist twist. And so who I am as an artist and creativity really forms me as a woman. And as an author, I think a lot of uh, the, a quote by Gloria Anzaldúa, where she says that uh, women who 
writing ha is a way of having power and women who women who have power are feared. And so writing is a way of, of finding a place in the world and giving voice to those who haven't had access to having their voice be heard. So all of those seemingly disparate things, uh, an artist, a writer, a former dancer, a queer clergy woman, and I'm an academic, so I was a professor of women, gender, and sexuality studies for a while. So all of those things really shape who I am today, both from adolescence with my mother and then throughout adulthood with all the other things I just listed. Wow. That was impressive <laughs> that you, you jammed all of that into uh, the, the, those few minutes. Uh, so, so cool. Did, were you finished or did I interrupt? I'm so sorry. No, you didn't interrupt okay. at all. No, that's uh, I, plenty I got, for that. I got kind of excited. I was like, ah, um, so, oh my God, so many questions. I could really contain myself. Um, uh, number one, you talked about querying and, um, I love that concept. I was introduced to that concept, uh, beyond just sexuality when I did my master's, which was mm. called women's studies now called more accurately gender studies. Um, and, uh, I loved how having a word for the things that I just kind of naturally did and kind of just like going off the, the unbeaten path in various kinds of ways is, uh, but how would you, uh, what does querying mean for you? I think that's a really great question. So I'll give my standard pat answer and then nuance that a bit. So whenever I use the word queer, um, I'm drawing on kind of three different definitions. So one of them is as an umbrella term for the LGBTQIA plus community because after a while it starts to turn into a bit of alphabet soup. And there's power dynamics depending on which letters you put where and, and all of that. So queer is a way of acknowledging everyone in that umbrella while also paying attention to both gender identity and sexual orientation, and oftentimes gender identity, particularly with regard to trans folks and gender non-binary folks are excluded. So that's one. And then a second is kind of a nod to the academic discipline like you studied in your master's of queer theory, of dismantling these binaries that bind man, woman, male, female, gay, straight, and paying attention to these interstitial spaces in between to say that for many, like there was a survey that just came out that said over 50% of teens today do not identify as straight but somewhere in that interstitial space, which I think is really radical and amazing and subversive. Which leads me to the third definition that I kind of love the most, which is really a reclamation within the queer community of the definition of the word, which is to intentionally transgress and subvert the, the status quo. And so sometimes when I use the word queering, it could actually also work to use the word subverting or transgressing, that it's a really intentional act. And for me, every time I use the word, I'm kind of giving a nod to all three of those definitions, mm -hmm. but it, it really permeates so much of my life also as an intersectional feminist that I think it's almost impossible to do that work of intersectional feminism without also doing queering work simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And you see that in the work of Black Lives Matter and and a whole host of other intersectional issues. So that's a little um, like academic theory stuff to throw out there before we get into practicalities. Yeah, no, I, I love it too. Uh, and I've used uh, queer and queering in, in kind of similar ways. It's kind mm. of like the umbrella term I use is uh, what it means to me anyway, is kind of just giving a finger to all the power apparatuses. Yes, yes, <laughs> I love that. It's like, yeah, I do it my way. Note, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Whatever, get off me, you and your uh -huh. rules. 
Uh, super, super cool. You said you were uh, a pastor for 14 years. What kind of um, uh, religion or denomination was that in, or what kind of church? Well, um, brace yourself. So I'm ordained Baptist? in the Baptist. Yes, in the Baptist tradition. Um, and I'll just give my quick little uh, dismantling stereotypes there. So Baptists are a pretty broad umbrella, but most under the umbrella that everyone knows about are the very conservative evangelical. But there are a big hosts of Baptists, the Association of Welcoming and Affirming Baptists, the Baptist Peace Fellowship, the Alliance of Baptists, all of those are open and affirming of LGBTQIA folks and um, care about social justice and all of those kind of things. So there are very progressive Baptists out there. And those were the communities that I served. And yet, I'll say, even in your most progressive communities, um, microaggressions, specifically directed, in my case, toward women and queer folk, um, can really rage. And so that really uh, reared its head at my most recent congregation that I served in a way that became really toxic. So I worked to overcome it for about six months with the leadership there. It didn't happen, and I decided to leave. And in doing that, um, have kind of left altogether. I still do some consulting work with progressive communities or communities working to become more inclusive. But on the whole, it's just um, 14 years was enough for me. So I've kind of followed Lilith's lead, climbed over the garden's walls, and I'm finding beauty and liberation on the other side. Yeah. Uh, I got goosebumps all over. <laughs> Uh, exactly, exactly. And what is really cool about um, uh, the kind of almost in the Baptist kind of world, there's almost those extremes. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like there's the extreme right, like God hates gays kind of with the signs. And then there's also like extreme progressive that are, yes. you know, very pro-immigrant, pro-woman. And actually when I did uh, my goddess pilgrimage with Carol Christ in, uh, um, in Crete, uh, yes. one day we accidentally, is there any accidents, ran into these two uh, American women Baptist pastors who we, they were trying to get into this ancient Minoan site that we were going into. And mm -hmm. they, they actually had, one of them had Carol's book in her hand because she had followed it. So here we show up, and, like we literally showed up in the backs of trucks, right? Like, and right. so all these, they couldn't get into this thing. And then we show all up, show up literally singing like God is hymns. Uh -huh. And then we met these two Baptist preachers. And I have to say, like, they really helped open my eyes to uh, the people who are fighting and resisting within and yes. who are trying to change the system within. Uh, but of those two Baptist uh, pastors, shout out to Natalie and uh, Kendall. Uh, Natalie is still a, a, a pastor, but uh, uh, Kendall has separated um, and started her own spiritual kind of counseling um, business. Uh, right. And speaking of small world, so I know them. Um, oh my God, you don't and, know. You know yes, Natalie. Oh my yes, God. so next year, um, they lead the Nevertheless She Preached yes. conference, and yes. next year I'll be one of their speakers. And literally yesterday, I just finished a commission icon painting for this year's conference, a Nevertheless She Preached icon. So I was this morning just uh, messaging with Natalie, and they do really good work. And, and what's, I know, what's really, well... <laughs> the progressive Baptist world is small. Uh, so what's a little bit sad is that the history of the Baptist tradition is actually quite radical and, and quite feminist. That's why I made a choice to become Baptist uh, about 15 or so years ago. But unfortunately, that's not the voice that we see. And even as 
Kendall could attest in leaving the congregation that she serves, or um, I don't want to speak on behalf of anyone, but uh, the whole hullabaloo with Amy Butler leaving Riverside Church, which it is not a Baptist church, uh, but she is, um, that even in the most progressive of spaces, that women and queer women and women of color in particular can still experience a tremendous amount of sexism and heterosexism that makes those places unsafe. And what makes it so complicated is that you go into those spaces thinking this is an affirming, celebratory space that's going to celebrate my voice. And then you get in there and realize that it's not. Whereas in those super conservative churches, one, I wouldn't go. But if I did, I would know going in, like, you think I'm an abomination. You think I'm going to burn in hell. You don't think I should preach or speak. So I know going in, this is what you think about me. Yeah. And what makes those progressive communities tough sometimes is that often progressive white liberal, um, hashtag spiritual white feminism, mm -hmm. say that they're progressive. And then you get in there and you're like, why am I feeling so invalidated, so excluded? And then you question your own feelings, your own experience. So that's Cody Sanders and I wrote a book about it, Microaggressions in Ministry. It's real. It brings uh, toxic stress on folks and especially marginalized folks. So I know this is a bit of digression here, but all of those things are very real. And also I know Carol um, from the pilgrimage that you did. She endorsed mm -hmm. uh, my book, Holy Women Icons, um, mm -hmm. and she's amazing and fabulous. So there are these um, radical, subversive sister saints, troublemakers who are sister changing. Sister saints. Yes, I love yes. it. Yeah, sister yeah. Saints. Yes. And, and all of the women you've already named are among them, as are you. <laughs> as are you. Oh, oh well, thank uh, you. So, so that's so freaking cool. Um, and I just want to add a, a layer because uh, sometimes I find it's easier to do the comparison of apples to oranges, although sometimes, but if you were talking about going into one uh, kind of church, you'd be almost have your guard up and expect discrimination and then versus mm -hmm. uh, in a progressive or not. I can compare that to my own personal experience of, uh, I was the first woman to be a union rep and, and organizer for the Carpenters Union in my wow. province. So, and I was 25 years younger than all the guys doing it. So I went into that and kind of expecting sexism, sexism and, and dealing with it on a daily basis. But for the most part, like when you're expecting it, you're, you you can process it in a different way and, and you know and it was more outwardly and then mm -hmm. I left that job and went to a job a similar kind of job working in my university so academic and um, so working with instead of tradespeople it was academic still mostly men <laughs> mm -hmm. and um, the microaggressions and the, the sexism in the university uh, realm I actually found you know harder to deal with in some ways mm -hmm. because it was subversive and because it, it did make you wonder hmm, why did they yeah. why did they give me this part of the collective agreement to research maternity when because is it because I'm a woman? I don't even right. have a child like at the time I did. Mm -hmm. So so there's that kind of very fascinating uh, realities of, of uh, what you expect and what the world, what the uh, the community or group uh, that you're going into, what is their outwardly um, uh, kind of how they act and, and what's the culture of that. So that's right, super, for super sure. fascinating. So um, I love, love, love everything about the Holy Women's Icon Project. I want to tell everyone about it. Oh, thank you. Please what do. Was, <laughs> what was so cool was, so you emailed me and you were like, oh, you just had my friend on and you're, you're friends with Trista Hendren. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if we had a party? We should just all get like a, like a feminist spirituality party. So uh -huh. someone, someone needs to like come into a lot of money. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so we'll do it. But, um, uh, and you're like, uh, you said, 
this is what the Holy Women's Icon Project is. And I was like, you don't, you should have seen me. I was like, ah, squealing. I was like, no way. Uh, because Carol Christ had um, posted on Facebook, I think it was the uh, New Year's uh, online retreat, the seven day retreat. And I was just really in an aching kind of way of tapping mm. back into it. It was just a couple months after I'd come back from my pilgrimage. And um, so I did the seven day New Year's uh, 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 online retreat. I think it's called like mindfulness and renewal or something. Yeah. And I loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, I thought it, it actually, like, Angela, it sparked something in me that um, took months and months to even really fully unfurl. Mm. But what I loved about it was love, I loved learning about the different goddesses. And I loved the lesson. I loved the writing things. I, I loved everything about it. And it has inspired me to do all kinds of different kits. And since then, um, I have been working on my own kind of version of that, of uh, as goddesses are presented to me. So like mm -hmm. as, as literally has, as goddesses come up and they sometimes come up on internet or in conversation or through a gift. And so I'm just kind of like, I have this list of goddesses, um, that I want to help, uh, other people learn about. Mm. So that's one of the kind of online kits that I have, or I, I don't know if I'll turn it into an online retreat thing or actually a subscription box kind of thing, because I also have like charms and necklaces and jewelry to go with each individual goddess. Because, oh, that's cool. Because for me, um, those, those little kinds of, um, you know, like, I don't want to say token cause that kind of diminishes it, but a little tiny, like whenever I learn about a new goddess, I mm -hmm. need to go get something of hers. Even if mm. it's just an image of hers that I find on the internet and print off and put on my altar, but I want mm -hmm. something to incorporate kind of, um, in anyway, I'm going on and on, but it's cause I was so excited. Um, uh, to kind of just talk about this work and to let you know, yeah. uh, like the inspiration, uh, that allows. And, you know, and what's so cool is, um, I, I felt a little bad at one point cause I was like, am I copying, you know? <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> is there original ideas? No, there's no original. Right, right, right. <laughs> and of course, like I'm doing my own spin or doing my own work. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, you know, women and the imposter syndrome and all of that. But yeah. I was so glad to be able to have this opportunity to talk to you and to tell more people about it. So that's just one of your online retreats. Uh, I listed a bunch of other ones. You've got a self-care uh, online retreat. You have a queer spirituality retreat and a queer families retreat. That's really cool with like family activities. And things yeah. Like that. Those are the online things. Uh, and we'll put links in the show notes for people for that. And then uh, you also do in-person kind of group retreats, and you have one coming up called the Radical Rejuvenation Spiritual Sustenance Retreat, right? Did I get that mm -hmm. right? Yes. And that's December 31st, so New Year's Eve, to January 4th, and that's happening in Hawaii. That's right. Uh, and I'll put a link uh, to, to that. Um, do you want to talk about the, the group retreat just, just a little bit? Just a sure. Yeah, I would love work. to whatever you'd like with that. Yeah, definitely. So I'm so enlivened to hear that the New Year's Inspired by Seven Goddesses Mindfulness Retreat was meaningful for you because especially with the online retreats, we kind of throw them out into the ether and then we never know. Yeah. I mean, occasionally folks like you just shared with me will we'll send messages. So we have those that are available because let's be honest, not everyone can afford to come out to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And as a nonprofit that seeks to empower marginalized women by telling the stories of revolutionary holy women through art, writing, special events, um, we know that we want everyone to have access to this work. So even if someone can't come to a retreat in Hawaii, we want everyone to have access to them 
in their own spaces. So these online retreats are like $40. So a lot more affordable. And just a little shout out that if, if there were any folks who wanted to do one and the $40 was prohibitive, simply email me and go to our website, holywomenicons.com and send me a message and we will happily give a discount or free thing. Just explain your situation. Um, so this, this in-person one, I'm so excited because I've led a lot of in-person retreats, but this is actually the first time that I've done one here in Hawaii in my space where I'm gathering together uh, radical women from all over the world. So most of the time people have hired me to lead a retreat. I go to their space and their community. So this is something that's really exciting for me. So a few things about it. Uh, I've always personally wanted to go on a New Year's Eve retreat where mm. you kind of close the last year with gratitude, begin the new year, and in our case, a new decade, with intention and purpose, um, with surrounded by other spiritual, justice-minded creatives. And so that's the hope with this. And I mentioned to you that I have a bit of a metaphor yes, or an analogy for it all. It so, so this... Much. <laughs> this kind of applies to all of the work of the Holy Women Icons Project, but particularly this group retreat that we have coming up. So bear with me here because uh, as a queer woman, I'll say this is a bit of a lesbianic metaphor because it deals with, with power tools. And a shout out to my wife because she's the one who does most of the power tools work in our relationship. And she did come up with this metaphor or this analogy. So I think that the work of empowering women and particularly marginalized women is a lot like a power saw. And by that, I mean, if your power saw is not working, there's typically three reasons why. One of these three reasons, either your blade is too dull and it needs sharpening or replacement, or your power saw is completely drained of energy. You need to take the battery out and recharge it or your power source is faulty. So the place where you have the battery charging isn't working or the place where you have the saw plugged in isn't working. So here's where it works. I think a lot of women's empowerment work pays attention to the first two, the blade sharpening or the battery charging. And by that, I mean this. So you can pay a whole lot of money usually to go to some kind of a retreat, like a meditation retreat or a yoga retreat where you wake up really early in the morning every day, you meditate for hours, you do yoga, you kind of deny yourself, you turn inward, very introspective, you're sharpening your blade, right? And this is intentional, personal work. Or you can similarly pay a lot of money and go to something like a spa where you take out that drained battery and recharge it um, by doing uh, massages and sleeping and laying by the pool and sitting in bubble baths. And most of the time when women are really struggling, we're told that we need to do one of those two things. We either need self-care and we forget about group care and we mm -hmm. say, oh, go take a bubble bath, have a glass of wine, take a nap, something like that. Or do some introspection, some mindfulness, some turning inward and changing your own behaviors. Those are both good things. Mm -hmm but we forget about the power systems. So if you're plugging your battery of your saw into a faulty power system, it's never going to recharge. And we live in a world that has created these power structures intentionally designed to disenfranchise us and to disenfranchise all marginalized people. So that would be akin to saying, oh, you need self-care, go take a bubble bath, I got it all ready for you, and then you get into it, and instead of bubble bath, it's actually itch powder or something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, 
the systems are designed to, to disenfranchise you. So my hope with all of the Holy Women Icons Project, but with this retreat in particular, is that we can address all three of these issues for our, the power saws of ourselves. We can turn inward introspectively by doing rituals and guided painting and guided writing and journaling exercises. We can also have lavish, radical self-care for collective empowerment by laughing by the pool with awesome women or sitting in the sauna or sleeping. Like at this retreat, you don't have to get up at five in the morning uh, to get things done. But while doing those things, we're also critiquing and examining the power structures that disenfranchise all marginalized people. Because for me, personal liberation matters very little if it doesn't lead to collective liberation. And so we want, yes, yes, what we want to do is fill everyone's cup so that we can go back into the world doing our justice work, empowering others in, a, in an enlivened, galvanized kind of way so that it's not just like you go girl feminism but a way of of really honoring who we are and also saying you know what if I'm doing the bubble baths and I'm meditating and I'm being mindful in all these things and I'm still feeling drained there's a reason for that and it's not because we are faulty it's not because we're doing things wrong it's because these systems are designed to make us struggle and so let's turn inward let's relax, let's be galvanized, let's critique so that we can dismantle those systems. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's some of the work that we'll be doing. And as a practical point, we'll be doing that by um, having rituals and I do a guided icon painting. So everyone who comes by the time you leave, you'll have painted an icon with this kind of intentional creativity method. So your journaling and the rituals and the group work, all of it ties back into what you're painting. And then when you leave, you have this icon that you've created to remind you throughout the year of not just your time there, but these tools that you can use to help you feel empowered throughout the entire year and throughout your life to return to. So we'll be doing all of that. And then there will be like some yoga and some stretch meditation. There'll be a completely optional empowering exercise class. Because for me personally, whenever I go on retreats, I hate that there's not any time carved out to be able to work out other than getting up at like five in the morning. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> so we'll be doing all of that, eating delicious food in beautiful, stunning volcano Hawaii, which is, um, an enlivening growing place because the volcano's there, you're safe, but also it's the land is changing all the time because of the volcano and the work of Pele, the, the Hawaiian goddess of volcanoes. Mm. Uh, Pele, I, I've been really connecting a lot to her lately, mm -hmm. uh, goddess of the volcano. Um, and I, I often kind of, in my heart, Pele has the same kind of um, uh, place as Kali. Yes, yeah. Right, of like, um, Hindu goddess versus the Polynesian goddess, but uh, that of like, you know, burn it all away and from destruction is new birth and new yes. life. And that's what I talk to a lot of my clients about mm -hmm. is, you know, there is beauty in the breakdown, there's beauty in the tearing away. And when, when one of my clients is going through a hard time, you know, if, if, they, if I feel like they can hear this, I'll say, burn it all down, Callie, burn it all down, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the same kind of like, it seems chaotic, and could be even fearful at the time, but it is setting us up uh, for, you know, a, a life that wouldn't otherwise exist or, or yes. what have you. So that's, that's super, super cool. Um, I loved that you, uh, and I guess it's because of your social justice kind of passion, but also your academic background. 
that you in, do include that kind of third part of acknowledging the systems mm-hmm. that um, are designed to, uh, to disenfranchise, to disempower. And um, uh, if, if, I, if we could, because I, I'm like you and I can have this kind of like high level conversation, but just even to unpack that a little bit. Um, and, you know, I jokingly talk about, you know, giving a finger to the power apparatus and mm-hmm. all of that. So like, uh, let's talk about what we mean when we're, when we, when we're, when we're talking about what needs to be dismantled and like, you know, it's not that we're paranoid as the systems are out to get us. It's like, no, legitimately, right. Right. (laughs) You know, the systems, there are, there are systems in place, um, through society, through religion, through, uh, culture, through personal interactions, through policing, all these different things Mm -hmm. that disadvantage some members of society while advantage, advantaging, advantage, you know what I mean? Giving advantages yeah. to uh, other other parts, uh, other members of uh, society. So uh, if someone was um, asking you about that, like, what do you mean by these systems that are mm-hmm. set up to uh, disempower us? Uh, how would you explain that in kind of like to like a, a five-year-old? Or, right. or, or grade five. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, um, I have a five-year-old and we actually were talking about some of these things the other day. I think that's a great question. So I'll give kind of two examples. I remember once in a, I was a professor of women's gender and sexuality studies. So we were talking about like this really heady feminist theory stuff. And someone in the class said at the end of this, at the end of the day, does this help more women become managers at Walmart? for example. So if you just look at leadership across the board, it doesn't just have to be in religion. If you look, um, I live in the US. So if you look at our legislators, the vast majority of them are white men and are straight. Um, And there aren't very many women. And then when women do run for political office, they are often asked about how they're going to care for their children when men are not asked those questions. There's a lot of commentary about their looks and their clothing, their size that are not- Likeability. How likable are they? Yes, yes. Or even just the tenor of their voices, the tenor of our voices that- um, I remember uh, Rush Limbaugh, of course, saying something about Hillary Clinton, saying that every time she opens her mouth, he hears, take out the garbage. And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't want to be married to you for a host of reasons. But if that's what you think of when you think of a woman, that says a lot. So things like that, and even you referenced earlier parental leave, Um, so access to um, care for your own body, access to leave so that if you want to have a career and you want to be able to raise children, that you have tools that can help you do that. Um, And then the, the example, because I come from a religious tradition, that I often give is that if you look in every religious tradition or wisdom tradition across the board, many of them have overt exclusions written into their theologies or polities that women are not even permitted to be leaders. So even if you wanted to, you couldn't. So that's one step. And then if you do want to, then perhaps you could find a religious tradition where you could be, uh, like the ones that we were talking about earlier. But then you have uh, what I often talk about as the stained glass ceiling, that um, I've literally heard conversations in um, a a denomination that hangs its hat on being progressive and ordaining women, where someone called in, their pastor had left, they wanted to be able to post on this denomination's website advertising for their job as a pastor. And they said, okay, great. And the person had to ask, even though this is a denomination that ordains men and women, are you open to women? 
And the church said, you know, we really affirm women in ministry, but we just, we're not ready for that yet. And this is what she said, I kid you not. Well, you know, you'd save a lot of money because you could pay her less. Um, and that's just not one example. This happens all the time where you get to a, a system, whether it's religion or whether it's a CEO or whether it's a manager at Walmart, whatever it might be, um, where a woman finally cracks that ceiling only to get there and realize that she's not paid the same, she doesn't have access to the same tools, and that she's the only one that everyone around her is a man like you talked about with the, one of those jobs that you took um, with unions. And so that's what I talk about, about systems. I don't think that there's someone chasing after me with a weapon trying to hurt me or something like that, or trying to hurt all women. But I do think that even when women do flourish and thrive and find positions of leadership, that it's harder to maintain those spaces because the system is not designed to support them. Mm -hmm. um, a, a classic example I always give is that half the time when I go places to preach, I have to wear step on a little stool because you can't see me behind the pulpit. Mm -hmm. um, so little, little things like that that seem small, but when added up can really be very exhausting for women, yeah. especially when you're like carrying your two-year-old, which I yeah. have, and your five-year-old needs attention and you need to do all the things that you're doing and you want to feel professional, but there's spit up all over you. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> just to be real for a moment, <laughs> you know this, you have a little one too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, I see with a lot in my clients where they're doing the step one and step two, like you mentioned, and uh, you know, I, white women's spirituality in most mainstream kind of looks like yoga. Yes, right. Yeah. Like it's and uh, uh, so, but yoga for the most part, and I can only speak of yoga I've participated in, which have been different kinds, but it's been it very. I don't think I've ever experienced yoga that um, incorporated social justice or social mm. realities. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and so, you know, it is great. And it is kind of just like taking the pressure top off the pressure cooker a little bit. It is self care. I, I highly recommend uh, yoga of various kinds. Uh, but uh, the frustration that I, I had gotten um, and uh, is, is just the lack of, of reality of, of when you leave that studio. Mm -hmm. And that's why in, in my workshops, every time, all the time with my clients, like it's, uh, I, I loved your, your metaphor because it, it was so much of what I was doing without me kind of really mm -hmm. whittling it down in those ways. And I think that well, what, what, you know, uh, you're doing the Holy Woman's Icon Project, which just even the tone when I was reading the website was so much like the tone of Strong Women Co., right? Uh -huh, like of this, yes, like, sure. we're helping each other and we'll get through this together. And, and, you know, we have to be honest with our realities and we have to dismantle this, these uh, systems of oppression to have actual freedom and equality. And, you know, sure, it may be uncomfortable to talk about those things, mm -hmm. but it's from that uncomfortableness is A, authenticity and B, mm -hmm. change, right? So, right. Uh, and, and uh, I'm sure you've experienced it where you have to tread lightly sometimes on those topics, depending on yep. the community you're speaking to or the, the workshop you're giving or, or what have you. So when I go in and do uh, workshops with women in male-dominated fields, like I won't even really say the word sexism um, ah. at the beginning because it gets women's back up. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess some women's backup because a lot of them can't even accept that there is sexism in their workplace, even though mm -hmm. it's rampant because it's part of their survival. 
It's part yep. of their coping mechanisms to put the blinders up. No, I don't, I'm not affected by that. So then I talk in terms of like unconscious bias. Yes. And, like, yeah. you know, uh, and I just explain it in this super like psychological kind of way of like, you know, our brains just break things down into categories just for like uh, quickly uh, different uh, schema and schemata, just like a chair. We know what a chair is. It has these properties. And then we, you know, we know what a child is. And then we, we put those categories into other things. We know what a woman is. We know what a man is. Uh -huh. uh, and, and just kind of explain it like that. And then when I give those terms, I can see them kind of like blossoming and then and uh -huh. these stories come out. But I also find it a lot in my 101. So I had a, a meeting with a client this morning. She is a, a doctor, a medical doctor, just had her, uh, uh, her second child, was having a hard uh, time, uh, just life and, you know, mm -hmm. pro probably postpartum because I don't know what woman hasn't had some kind of version of postpartum mm. uh, depression after childbirth. Uh, I think postpartum is just one word from it. Another word is just spiritual awakening because mm. if, if, if giving birth <laughs> hasn't changed you, uh, I don't know what to say to you. Like, because <laughs> right, right. it is so, it's, it's a huge responsibility. Even if you give the child, a, like it changes your body, it changes your brain chemistry, it changes mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. But we just have it in society. And this is again, one of those systems. If you want to talk about systems against us, if you want to look at like childbirth and pregnancy and child rearing, yes. all yeah. of those systems are not set up so it's easy. It's also not set up for us to revere or honor women and these experiences. Like every mm -hmm. single person in this world has come from a woman. Mm -hmm. Right. But we don't talk about that. Right. Like, I, I remember, I think I was pregnant when I realized that, and I knew I was having a girl and that I was making the ovaries in my little girl that would hold the eggs for a potential grandchild. Mm -hmm. And so that the egg that made my little girl, Violet, was made in my mother. Uh-huh. Right. And I was like, whoa, yeah, yeah. mind blown. Right. And I was like, why don't we talk about this? Why isn't this celebrated? Why isn't this seen as this beautiful sanctity of life and power and, you know, everything that comes along with it? And it's, you know, in one word, we can sum it up as patriarchy. Mm -hmm. uh, it has devalued women uh, to, and devalued women's experiences. Uh, devalue might not even be a strong enough word in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Uh, vilified is yes, <laughs> yeah. demonized. Um, so that, you know, we are kind of just slowly wake, wiping the gunk from our eyes and seeing the bull crap for the bull crap it is. Right. And uh, a lot of us don't necessarily have the concepts or the language, uh, for these. And I think like, so when I look at who's listening to this podcast, it's all kinds of small towns. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Okay. Like it's, it's small towns. Uh, like there's big cities. There's like Delhi, India. And we got London. And we got like different places in the world. But when it comes to the States, you know, besides like you got your, your big ones in LA and Miami, there's a lot of like little towns in Missouri or mm -hmm. Iowa or Saskatchewan or, you mm -hmm. know, and I think it's because uh, women are flocking to it where they're, they're ha we're having this awakening and we're, we're looking to each other of like, you notice this too, right? That we're getting treated unfairly and and uh, this is exhausting me and I'm not sure exactly how to go about it. Mm -hmm. So that's what I, I offer and talk to my clients a lot about is, okay, we have to do these, you know, you have to look after yourself. We're going to talk about positive mindset, and your goals and these various things to help them along or self-love, whatever their goal is. It's like, but we're also going to have an honest conversation about our reality that we face mm -hmm. um, and how that is uh, disempowering, disenfranchising and exhausting. Yes. And I think so often 
because we don't talk about that or even acknowledge it, or, or like you said, that sometimes when you bring that up, um, white women in particular can get their wrinkles up and be upset by it, like, oh, I don't experience this, I'm fine. Um, because we don't talk about it that when we start to struggle so even i think um i don't i honestly don't know if there's any research on this but um, i'm an adoptive parent and even after adopting my children so there's none of those actual hormones going through my body um i experienced elements of depression because it changes who you are and it changes your identity mm -hmm. and so all of these changes are happening but a lot of folks don't want to talk about it and then we begin to think that we're somehow faulty or messed up or failures or not good enough or whatever the language is. And then we experience shame. And, and I think as much as we can do work, not just to say, you go girl, I want to hear that some for sure. But to also say, no, you're not faulty at all. Yeah. You are worthwhile and sacred and who you are is needed and a beautiful addition to this world. And so if you're feeling less than that, it's not just because of you. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're messed up. It's that the system is designed to make us feel this way. Um, yes. I always think of uh, my first definition of feminism, which is uh, the personal is political, right? Uh -huh. And the political is personal. Uh -huh. uh, so it's like, and when I heard that, I really didn't get it at first. And then like, I lived a bit. <laughs> uh -huh. And I was like, oh, my life is a microcosm <laughs> for the macrocosm of uh, other women or other people mm -hmm. uh, like me. Uh, which just it because the patriarchy uh, also sets us up in silos that's part yes. of it right so that you are isolated and you think it's you mm -hmm. right versus um, uh, realizing that oh it's actually a whole system of ideology and you know um, uh, economy and who has power that um, has set us up to be uh, to have um, to have less power on the onset. And I, I don't want to just like anyone to find this, this conversation disempowering. And this is kind of the tightrope I walk, I'm sure you do too, of like, we're talking about the reality and yeah, things are crappy. And uh -huh. at the same time, things are changing. Yes. Every time, you know, we do wake up and face, it's just kind of like in your own life, the microcosm to the macro. Like when you face your own crap, your own things, only the, the things in your life that aren't working anymore, and then you change that, um, it's hard, but it's important. Right. Uh, it can be a lot, it's way easier to avoid it in a lot of ways. Uh, and that's kind of like for the bigger picture too. It's like when you face the crap, the things that aren't working in the bigger picture, it can feel disempowering. But at the same time, it is literally the only thing, only way that we do change. Mm -hmm. It's through the education mm -hmm. and then, um, you know, that Margaret Mead quote, never doubt that a small group of dedicated people can change the world indeed it's right that ever has right right and uh, uh i that's what I, I often think of and you know with through your work through my work and here we are like inspiring each other right mm -hmm. and, like and having all these connections that we didn't even uh right know about so again i have goosebumps and um uh so i do feel like we are part of this kind of wave right uh-huh um, uh, so it's not, it's, it's to be honest about the realities, but when we get down and out, that is when the oppressors win. Right. For sure. And something that we often say at the Holy Women Icons Project is we believe a better world is possible. 
and we believe the world breaks your heart. And so the work of the Holy Women Icons Project is to bridge the divide between those two. So if the world is breaking your heart, how is it that we can also see these things that make our jaws drop in wonder and awe. I say this here in Hawaii where I just before talking to you got back from a run along the ocean and I want everyone to have access to that, to create a world where everyone has access to beauty and inspiration. And so when I think about a lot of these revolutionary women from history and mythology that I paint as icons and that I write about, they're women who have been doing this work, you know, since forever and yet we haven't heard their story. So part of it is uncovering. The work is there. The women who are doing this amazing work are there, but it's, they're hidden in the crevices of our canons at best or strategically erased at worst. And so to lift them up. And then when you do that and someone else learns about them, like you mentioned with some of the goddesses in the mindfulness online retreat, there's uh, something that Kelly deals, who's a feminist marketing consultant in Canada, she calls it a skills transfer. So when I learn about, uh, Guan Yin and compassion and Buddhism, then she's transferring to me skills that apply to my life, even if I am not Buddhist. Or if I learn about the radical work of Audre Lorde, that the more that I read about her being a sister outsider and her work about radical self-care as an act of political revolution, that that's transferring skills to us today. So these women who have lived historically or uh, goddess or archetypal figures that we read about that are often left out of the myths that were taught in school, give us something for today and not in an appropriative way, I hope, but in a way where you learn about their radical histories, their cultures, their traditions and say, wow, this exists. Let me share this with others and stand alongside of these subversive sister saints from history and lift one another up because women have been doing this and we're just joining in this um, cloud of saints if you will, in doing this work and creating this wave. Yeah, oh, that's so, so good. Uh, another way that people could support the Holy Women's Icon Project would be by some of the art that you created, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So um, a little tidbit about how that happened. So I've been painting women as folk feminist icons for over a decade. And it started in some ways as far back as 20 years ago when I was in this Russian Orthodox church as the American embassy was bombed. I was kind of hunkered in there and looking around and seeing these brooding whitewashed male faces all around me, their hands raised in this like endlessly frightening benediction. (laughs) And it was inaccessible to me because that's not my tradition. And they were almost all men. And they were almost all white, even though historically those men were mostly men of color. Mm -hmm. And so that started it. Then in 2005, I was at St. Catherine's Monastery in Egypt, which has the oldest collection of icons. Only two women were portrayed, one of which was one who was nameless and sacrificed by her own father. And time goes on. Like I'm at the Temple of a Thousand Buddhas in Thailand, no women. And so I started painting these women from history and mythology and giving the iconography a folk a folk twist to make it more accessible through a feminist lens to lift up these women from spiritual traditions and even outside spiritual traditions like Audre Lorde or Gloria Anzaldúa or Frida Kahlo and, and paint them in ways so that when women look at them, we see reflections of ourselves yep. portrayed as canonized and holy, uh, that we have this opportunity to learn about the subversive sisterhood of saints that has 
trod the way so that we can be and do and become who we are today. And people can support that work. All of it goes back into the nonprofit. We have um, originals and prints and, and also we can print on all kinds of things. So you can have it on like a tote bag or a coffee mug or, or we're working on earrings right now. Um, so that there are these little, um, you use the word token earlier, but you're right that that that's not quite strong enough. These no. little talismans or yeah, talismans tangi good. Yeah. yeah, tangible reminders. Mm -hmm. So like when I put on my Frida Kahlo earrings, I always say as I'm putting them in my ears, like this is reminding me to be a revolutionary because she was a, a Mexican revolutionary. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that these can be reminders for us of this amazing history, herstory that we stand on and can also embolden us to keep doing that work today. And so we have that with the painting that we do with the writing about these women to share them with one another. Um, and then also with these online and in-person retreats that we offer. Uh, I have to say, I have learned so much from your art. Uh, oh, thank you. From like just individuals and like even just revisiting people like Audre Lorde or whatever, you know, like, I, I, sometimes when you leave grad school, you forget about some right, of the awesome right. people that you think of, you learned about. Um, but uh, I think that's kind of what I really loved about your seven day retreat and what had broken my heart open was for the first time, besides like the pilgrimage that I'd gone to and my own spiritual uh, uh, path has been pretty fascinating um, in kind of like opening up to like the kind of idea of, of goddess spirituality and uh, while I was pregnant and, and then, mm. you know, gave birth. And I felt when I, particularly when I was pregnant and then after I gave birth, like I was lateral to God, like mm. I, I created life. <laughs> right, right. So there was like, there was this like kind of like God's not higher than, you know, and then mm -hmm. so, and it's like, you know, all uh, women create life. Kind of silly to think of, Creator is just men, like that makes right, no sense. It right. uh, goes against all nature. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, uh, so I just kind of like started to break open my heart because I used to call it, you know, the universe because I had a negative connotation to God, like a lot of people. Mm -hmm. The word, uh, even though you know I taught vacation Bible school and Sunday school when I was younger, mm. I was raised Anglican, which is like you know, Protestant light. <laughs> right, right. You know, like abortion's okay, divorce is okay, be a good person, you get to heaven. So like it was. Uh -huh. Cool, mostly, but you know, the, 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 I was nowhere near. I was nowhere. Uh -huh. That's why I love Tristan's Girl God book. Was mm -hmm. like, as much as I like knew I was spiritual and connected to a bigger, higher source than me. I didn't see myself in any religion, right? Um, and and then um, I kind of like usurped all of that and kind of just went inward and just mm -hmm. like, was responsive to what the universe was presenting to me and and. Um, it was it was through different learnings of goddesses that I did see reflections of myself, um, but also that like um, I just saw my own story, or I understood in my heart. Uh, I may get the goddess wrong now because it was a while ago. But I think it was Olya who um, she had nine stillbirths. Is that yes. that one? Yeah. So uh, so the story of her, I think she might be the first day. And so she's a, a African goddess, I believe. Yeah, she's an Orisha yeah. in Santeria. Yeah. And so she, uh, having the nine stillbirths, right? Like that is, that is nowhere in any religion that I've ever heard. Uh -huh. But, but um, what a real experience that a lot of women still went through, through in the past and depending on your geography would still be going through today because there's all kinds of reasons why, you know, a baby would die right. on the way out. And, uh, but because she had that, that sorrow of the nine stillbirths, like it just, it just hit me in the heart 
Mm-hmm. And like to think of a deity with that kind of woman, compassion, knowledge, mm-hmm. it, I was just, I was, it, it, it was really warming. It was, uh, I was like, oh, there is a world with deities or goddesses, mm-hmm. icons that are reflections of my experiences. Yes. And it was pretty revolutionary for me, you know, mm-hmm. and then as different goddesses came along and I paid attention to them, a huge one for me too is Kuan Yin and mm-hmm. just the goddess of compassion and just like having her, you know, the, one of the stories of her is of course she's on her way to Nirvana and then she hears the cries of the world and is like, uh, I gotta go back. I can't, I can't go to uh-huh. Nirvana. And I was like, how selfless, right? Uh-huh. Like, like, it's almost like, uh, I think of Kuan Yin as like the, the girl Jesus energy. Right, uh-huh, uh-huh. Really loving. I take care. Of, we take care of each other, and before we, we uh, you know, uh, pass on. But uh, so I, I, I thank you for your work. I oh, uh, thank you. I thank you for having the audacity to do everything <laughs> that you do. Oh, uh, thank you. Because it does, it does allow for like you. And this is the things with the pebble in the pond that we don't even know that we're how we mm-hmm. are helping mm-hmm. one another. Right. And right. so I, I really want to thank you. Uh, and also thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for reaching. Yes. And to say thank you, I do want to give you one of our goddess bracelets. Oh, thank you. That's beautiful. Yet, uh, but I'll send you the link so you can choose which one it is and I'll, I'll mail it to you. So thank you. I, I, I took a long time to design and figure this out, but the, the, uh, handmade Czech Republic, uh, uh, beads and, and I got one that's the, the original trinity of the goddess of birth death and rebirth right oh wow and uh, so they're actually like these um uh goddess it's 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 modeled after uh in 1979 uh in the Czech Republic they had unearthed one of these goddesses that are of course like being unearthed all over the world mm. demonstrating our our matriarchal kind of tendencies in the pre-patriarchal world and so the Czech Republic people were really really proud that their um, uh, ancestors were so uh, advanced because it was ceramics, right? So it was like a 25,000 BC kind of thing, right? Oh, got it, yeah. And so they were like, oh, look how advanced we were. And so uh, really close to where this, this goddess was found, there's a bead, uh, uh, family-owned kind of bead factory uh, with a master bead maker that the, in 1979, uh, this guy who was a master bead maker actually made uh, the mold, which is the same mold. Oh, that's amazing. And so I was looking forever for something that was like meaningful, that Mm -hmm. would embody, to help women kind of love their woman selves, to help us to connect to our pre-patriarchal heritage, to a Mm -hmm. world where we did worship and revere women for their life-giving and and nurturing um, uh, abilities. And uh, so I was so delighted uh, when I found these. And um, there's just so much meaning and just to kind of help women through body image issues too, because like all the goddesses that are found, they got big breasts and big boobs uh, and big uh-huh, bellies, right? uh-huh. and like my grandmother who had nine children, mm-hmm. right? But like not very often do they have tiny waists. So it wasn't right. the virgins that were celebrated. Mm-hmm. It was the life-giving, you know, babushkas, like the, the uh-huh. first grandmothers. And uh, so I, I always like to try to kind of remind women and clients and anyone who's listening of this kind of other way of thinking about ourselves. Yes. Yeah. That's what I, I've... Uh, uh, love to put this, this this kind of like thing together to remind us of our woman power and also just to connect to that ancient kind of wisdom of celebrating who and what we are. 
Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you shared the story of it with me. I think that just like the artwork in the Holy Women Icons Project, so many things like that are more powerful when you know the stories and the histories behind them. And then it serves as that reminder. And like you said, with a bracelet, it's something that you can touch and feel on your body and look down when you're having one of those moments and just be reminded. I, I really like that. How amazing is Angela and all the work she's doing, right? Oh my goodness, I loved that conversation. I loved being able to share it with all you folks. And now we will seal this podcast with our featured song that was chosen by Angela. It is Talking About a Revolution by Tracy Chapman. This is one of my favorite songs of all time. Tracy Chapman is one of my favorite singers of all time. But what's really cool um, when I was looking up this song is that Tracy Chapman is kind of a, a holy woman icon in herself. Um, and I wanted to mention that, you know, she was born in Cleveland, Ohio. She was raised by a single mother who had, you know, didn't have a lot of money. But uh, when Tra Tracy Chapman was three years old, her mother gave her a ukulele, despite not having much money. And uh, she just kind of learned from then and learned to play the guitar. And she was writing songs since she was eight. So this song I'm about to play for you, um, if you if you know it, you'll you'll just warm your heart uh, to hear it again because it, it goes with everything we're talking about in the podcast radio show about um, this revolution that we're we're, we're working towards a revolution where women are uh, respected and revered for our strength and our abilities, and that we're also included in the narrative, in the public discourse, in the mainstream kind of ideas of what it means to be human uh that also includes women's experiences but so for tracy chapman uh to close off this uh this podcast with this amazing song talking about a revolution just seems absolutely and utterly perfect this is a song that was written uh completely by her so it speaks to something that she felt stirring inside of her um and though she never publicly talked about her sexuality uh it is now well documented that she was in a relationship with alice walker and if you know that amazing uh, holy woman icon of herself alice walker is the novelist poet and activist who wrote uh, the color purple um and a lot of other amazing books so let's celebrate the amazing women doing uh transformative, transformative uh, things in our world. And let's, when we do so, we are bringing about a better world and we're bringing about a revolution that includes more people, it includes Mother Earth, it includes uh, a future in which we can feel safe and strong and be our true selves completely. So let's do this. Take it away, Tracy Chapman, talking about a revolution. Don't you know that talking about a revolution sounds like Don't you know that talking about a revolution sounds like a whisper? While they're standing in the welfare lines, crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation, wasting time in the unemployment lines, sitting around. Talking about a revolution sounds just 
Talking about a revolution, oh no. Talking about a revolution. 